Hello and welcome to the Beauty Therapists of Australia podcast. I am your host, Kathleen Klassman, and you might know me from the Facebook group, Beauty Therapists of Australia for Industry Leaders, a group for professional beauty therapists to unite, get educated, and of course, become industry leaders. So here on the podcast, I answer and discuss the best questions that you submitted into the group over the past week. And in today's episode, we will be discussing complicated around subletting your beauty space for extra income, processing refunds for clients when their skincare isn't working, and how to handle client no-shows. Before we dive into these topics, I would like to remind you that if you have a question you would like answered, jump on over to Facebook and join our free Facebook community. Just search Beauty Therapists of Australia dash for industry leaders and click join to get connected. Also, if you would like to stay updated on all things related to the beauty industry, follow me personally on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search my full name, Kathleen Klassman. Alrighty, so let's get into topic number one, and that was subletting your beauty space. Now, Brooke asked this question, and I'll read it out to you now. So she said, happy 2020, everyone. I'm looking for advice about someone renting my room. I rent a beauty room in a hair salon, and I have Sunday and Monday off. I work in a high tourist area, and now that everyone is away, it is getting busier. The owner of the hair salon has been getting a few requests for Monday bookings, but because I have my kids and my husband who works on Mondays, I just can't get into work as my kids already go to daycare for four days a week and I don't really want to put them in extra. So I was thinking of renting my room out on Mondays to another beauty therapist. I have someone who is interested and who is willing to work under my menu and my prices, but in addition, she'll be using my stock and products. My rent is 350 and I was thinking of charging $80 a day. I do have a little doubt and I'm very nervous about letting my room to someone and working under my menu. I'm just worried if the quality of work will be the same as mine. Is this a bad idea? Alrighty, so let's jump into this. There is a lot to unpack with this question. So before I jump into all of that, let's just summarize Brooke's situation here. So essentially she has her own beauty room, which she rents for $350 a week from a busy hair salon in a high tourist area. She works five days a week. um, So she gets her Sunday and her Monday off and she definitely well, I'm assuming actually, because it wasn't confirmed in the question, but it sounds like she pays for her own products and she definitely has her own menu. So that's Brooke's situation here. And what she's really wanting to find out is whether she should be getting someone in as a sublet for and charging them $80 a day for the space. But the thing is, what she's worked out is that the person who's subletting from her would actually be under her menu and they would be using her products. So this is what I want to discuss. But before we discuss that little bit, because that's what she was asking question a question about, and she said, is this a bad idea? So she has some feelings here that going on. But before we get into that segment of the question, I really want to address the elephant in the room. So I'm not sure if any of you had picked up on it, but what I am saying is definitely some missing information here and I really want to address this because 
we really need to get this out in the open (laughs) and we need to be adults about it and we need to really find out what is this missing information and I can only make assumptions here so this is not to point fingers and to say someone's doing something wrong this is to help answer the question in better detail so this will really dictate the rest of the answer so what I am noticing in her question is that the reason why she was thinking of renting out her room and the products for $80 a day and someone working underneath her menu is because someone in the hair salon so the owner of the salon has been getting more requests for Monday bookings So for some reason, there is a pressure here and she feels like because of this request or perhaps the need for more bookings that she should be renting out the space. Now, I guess we can go two ways with this. So we don't know what contract she has signed and what she has agreed to and what the relationship is like, but we're going to make good assumptions because everybody should be acting in their good faith and doing the right things, right? But the thing is, what I'm seeing here is, let's just assume, right? Perhaps the hair salon is taking a part of this income. Maybe they're not. We just don't know. But the thing is, why Why are they, why is the salon owner here wanting to fill spaces for this girl on a Monday because if this is truly her own independent business she should be able to have her own independent business and it not be any concern of another business do you get where I'm coming from here because she at the end of the day she pays her rent and she operates her own business and she works five days a week while being a mother so why does she need to feel the need to fill the spaces on a Monday? And why is she feeling that pressure to do that? Now, I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons hidden under here, but we really need to think about the obligation that she's gotten in herself into here. Now, maybe it's to do with money and maybe this is nothing to do with the hair salon and the hair salon has noticed and they thought, hey, this is a great opportunity. Maybe you should work Mondays and maybe it is just that and I'm overthinking this. Perhaps I am. <laughs> and you know what? That would be fantastic because it sounds like that hair salon owner is only looking out for her and going, hey, this is a business opportunity. If you work Mondays, we could probably help you to fill it, right? So she's getting that walk-in traffic perhaps from the hair salon but maybe that's not the case maybe what has happened is she signed a contract where perhaps the hair salon here is taking a cut of her earnings and she is obligated to service these clients I really don't know here but this needs to be addressed because what she has decided as her resolution for the problem isn't going to help her and it's definitely evident in the comments and that is really my opinion so let's jump into that part of the answer so if you jump into the facebook group and read the comment section you'll see that no one really is agreeing that this is a good idea and i think brooke really does know this because she's ended her question saying is this a bad idea and she has little doubt and she's nervous about letting her room to someone and then working under her menu because she's worried about the quality of the work um, being the same as hers so and the thing is I'm getting a bad feeling about it as well and if I was to look at it logically which is how you should make all of your business decisions it 
doesn't seem logical to me because she would effectively be allowing somebody else who's only paying $80 a day to use her products, which, hey, could tally up to be about $80 a day, and then make profit off of her clients. You know, I don't see it being win win at all. It's it, it doesn't add up to me, right? And she she need there needs to be a reason like that she needs to gain from it. Otherwise there's no point in going to that extra effort, right? So it really just depends why she needs to do this. I mean, if it's for extra money every single week, $160 is all she's gonna get from this. So there's definitely some other things she could do and to really just say a couple of little suggestions here, you know, this is where you want to up your prices, uh, decrease your expenses. So your profit margins are higher. You could take on more hours, which she said she's not willing to do, which is totally fine. You have to have a life as well, right? (laughs) Or she can hire someone. So essentially hire someone to do work for her. But the thing is what she has chosen in this situation is to sublet someone and it just it doesn't make logical sense in my opinion oh and the other thing she could do is essentially sell more to her clients as well so essentially increase the amount of money she's making on each and every client now all of these suggestions take a little bit of work and a little bit of planning as does the suggestion she is thinking of here so i think if it's to do with money i don't know no, I do know this is not a good idea and she has a bad feeling about it for the right reason. So I think I would definitely scrap that idea and really get back to the drawing board and really think about why, you know, how she can make more money in her business if this is the case. You know, if she if it is a money thing, then, you know, it's about looking at your how many hours you can work, looking at, you know, is the calendar full? Can she take on more clients? Can she address those other suggestions that I just made? But maybe this isn't a money thing. Maybe this is to do with her contract. And, you know, we can't really delve into this. We just don't know. We just don't know. But the thing is, it could be to do with the fact that there is an obligation to service these clients. And the whole reason why I wanted to bring this up is to talk to you all about business in the beauty industry and communication and protecting yourself and doing, you know, making good business decisions. I mean, I'm pretty new into the business world myself and I have learnt a lot of this the hard way. (laughs) I have been in different kinds of contracts and I understand, especially when you're new, it's just sometimes something sounds really good and you just don't have anything to weigh it up against, right? But in When we're going into business, we must make these decisions in a very, very logical way. And I trust that Brooke is going to make the right decision and she's probably, you know, learning from this and she's going to find a solution that suits her. And guess what? Maybe she doesn't even have to change anything. And maybe this question was just because she wanted to help the salon out and service their clients and she has an independent business and she's going great. She's earning the money she wants, but maybe that's not the case as well. So yeah, we have to, as beauty business owners, be logical and we have to really crunch the numbers. I've learned this and 
think about whether something is going to help us or not. Now, if she wanted to, she could absolutely hire someone to work for her, but I wouldn't do it in this way. And I want to outline another reason that needs to really, really needs to be thought about before jumping into this. And the thing is, she could absolutely, if she has the the buffer for it, you know, she has the cash flow. I'm sure she could go to that effort and find someone to work on Mondays and Sundays and perhaps even drop a day so she could spend more time with her children. And wouldn't that just be fantastic? She'd have to find out whether her profit margins are good and she's making enough money and whether that would even be viable. And if she's going to earn more money doing that, is it worth the effort? Again, being logical. But the thing is, when you're doing it from the angle of subletting, things get really difficult in terms of the laws, really. And I learned this, I learned this by really delving into the subletting laws. Now, look, you need to seek the help of a professional here, <laughs> but I can only reiterate the information that has been given to me. And what I have looked into is basically that the laws when it comes to subleasing to someone or subletting to someone, you know, and you're asking, like you're contracting them, right? This is what I'm talking about, contracting work. And you're paying them a certain fee for the work that they do. The thing is, it's all good and well to do that, but it kind of, it doesn't work in favor of the person being subcontracted. And the government knows this. And the reason why businesses do this, it's it happens a lot in the massage industry and what they'll do, they'll sublet. So basically that person, the business owner, the top business, they say take 50% of the wages, right? So that means every time the person who's subletting, they do a service for $100, let's say, and they need to pay 50% to the owner because they're subletting the space and they're giving them the clients, etc. So it looks from afar, it might look like it's a good deal, right? But the thing is, the reason why the business owner has done this in the first place is because one main thing, whether it's malicious or not, it might just seem like a really simple thing. But the reason why is because it gets them out of having to pay tax for that uh, for the person working for them under their business, so the subletting, um, they avoid tax and they also avoid superannuation and they avoid that obligation of having a staff person. So it was less work theoretically, but the tax agency doesn't like this and they're actually honing in on this. You can jump online and talk to your advisor about this and I'm sure they're very well aware. I know they're jumping down on it in the massage industry and if you need me to provide some sort of resource for this I'll happily share it your way but I can only pass on this information to you and they are they're jumping down they're really cracking down on this right because that means that these businesses, when you sublet, when you've got someone subletting from you as a business owner, you don't need to pay that super because they're responsible for paying their super. But what actually ends up happening is the person who is subletting, so they're only getting 50%, they're not able to pay their own super and they have to pay their own tax. And what's happening, it's not helping the economy in any way. It's not really helping anyone. And it also doesn't help with their workers' rights. So 
what the government and the tax agency wants is for people to be put under a casual wage or a part-time wage or a full-time wage rather than this sublet contracting agreement. So like I said, they are they're jumping down, jumping down, that's not the right words, <laughs> cracking down on this because they they want to do what's best for workers and they want to make sure workers are being looked after. And the thing is, it is a much better environment if you're working for someone. And you know what? It works out on all parties because the business owner takes more money in the end. And yeah, they might have the obligation of looking after a therapist and having to do all those things, but it works out monetarily because they're gaining more from it (laughs) per hour. So my advice here is if it is to do with the money, forget the subcontracting. It's not going to work in your favor, especially with $80 a day and she's using the products. I crunched the numbers and just with some guesses, it's not going to work. It's not going to work in her favor. But if she can crunch the numbers and find out whether if hiring someone on a casual basis is going to be beneficial to her, then absolutely do it. And then you don't have to worry about those contract type issues. So I know we haven't really come to a conclusion on this one, but it is a lot to think about and it's a lot to really consider. And I hope this has deterred uh, any of you who are listening or are thinking about doing this whole subcontracting business. It just to me, and from what I've researched, it's not something worth going into. Just hire someone on a casual basis because it works better for all parties. And then, you know, you've got those workers' rights covered as well. So that is it for question number one. Let's jump into the second topic. Alrighty. So let's jump into question number two, and that is on the topic of a client requesting a refund on their skincare items due to it not working essentially. So we're going, we're getting real dark (laughs) on this episode, but we need to address these things. And I really hope we can all learn. So Nuet, I hope I've said her name right. Nuet asked, hi all, Merry Christmas. I hope you all had a lovely day with your loved ones. I just have a question regarding retail products. How do you deal with clients who have used your products and have experienced breakouts? What is your policy around this? My client has advised that after using the products for a week, she has had a lot of breakouts and she stopped using it. She brought three products from me, which costed over $200. And I wanted to really narrow it down to which product I thought it was that didn't agree with her skin, but she doesn't want to go back to using it. Should I take it back and give her a refund? Thank you for all your comments and feedback. So what I did, (laughs) I knew that there was a lot of nuances to this question. So when this question came in just after Christmas, I asked Nuet to give me a little bit more information so I could answer this a little bit better. I don't usually do this, but I wanted to for Nuet because it's really important to address this. And I thought it was such a good topic to talk about relating to skin. So let's jump in. 
Okay, so there's a lot to unpack with this question. And because Newer asked this question just after Christmas, I knew there'd be enough time between then and now for her to provide a little bit more information. So I'm going to go ahead and read what Newet said as a follow-up. So she said, I'm currently using Eminence Organics, a lovely range with natural plant-based actives. I've not had any issues with it so far. Client is in the mid-20s and has been using Neutrogena. Her skin is congested and lipid dry and she has not had many facials prior. She does experience hormonal breakouts and did start using the skincare during her menstruation period, but that she said, but she claims that after using it for a week after her period had finished, the pimples were there and a lot more than normal. So I sold her a cleanser, a moisturizer with a sunscreen and a concentrate. And I'm currently thinking it might be the moisturizer or concentrate that caused this. So there's a lot of information in this, but there's also a lot of missing information, which is okay because we would be here all day. <laughs> but we really need to know to answer this question fully is what's going on for the client in terms of her skin condition. So we know that she's probably lipid dry based on Newet's answer and she's getting breakouts, but is it acne, acne grade one, two or three? What are we seeing on the skin? Is it pupules or pustules or comedones, closed comedones? What's the integrity of her skin barrier like? What's the rate of transepidermal water loss? We need to address all of this to be able to answer the question a little bit better, but that's okay. We can only work with what we've got and we can't see the skin physically. So what I want to hone in on here is this idea that clients have, and you know what, even us as therapists, we will, we get this idea because it makes logical sense. We want cause and effect. We want to just think that, hey, I ate a grape this morning and I broke out because of the grape, so I won't eat grapes anymore. <laughs> That's a very elementary example, but you get where I'm coming from. You know, we can relate this to, we've all said it before. I had a block of chocolate last night. Now I've got a pimple. It's definitely that block of chocolate. And hey, it probably was, who knows? It might've been the block of chocolate. But the thing is, a, a pimple takes a little bit longer than that to form. And it's no use in creating this cause and effect unless you're really talking about uh, like an adverse reaction. So what I mean by an adverse reaction is you're having an allergic reaction. You can really pinpoint that because the skin will come up like it'll have hives and heat and inflammation and sensitivity and sometimes itchiness is, a, is another one as well, sometimes welting. So all of that, you can really create a cause and effect to an allergic reaction. But when it comes to a pimple, it gets a little bit complicated. And look, I have found in my time with working with skin that when it comes to hormonal breakouts, what most clients experience is a couple of little breakouts or maybe even an exacerbation in their current breakouts right before their period. And this makes sense because during that stage in the cycle, you get a surge of progesterone because progesterone needs to happen for the period to occur. And when this progesterone surges, depending on the hormonal profile of that individual person, what tends to happen is an increase in oil. And with this increase in oil, what is 
oil a precursor to it's a precursor to breakouts but it's not the whole picture remember so what we tend to see what I tend to see happening in clinic is clients will get a few breakouts prior to their period but it will start to slow down as they get their period and things start to balance out again and the oil isn't surging but if there's anyone listening say a dermatologist a naturopath a medical doctor if you're listening let me know is this is this trend that I'm noticing correct because I ask every single client and I do see this but this is what I mean about this whole cause and effect you just you just don't know because hormone profiles are different for every single person I could go on all day giving you examples but at the end of the day, a week judging a skincare product after using it for only a week and saying that breakouts were more than normal, it's it's not really real not really realistic. And we need to be judging this on the longer term basis. So one thing that is probably going on in your minds as the listeners and educated skin therapists, you're probably thinking about purging and the adjustment phase. So this is commonly, I experience it in my clinic with the skincare um, products I use because they're quite active and they're really stimulating the skin to look after itself and regenerate. But we, we have this phase where when you introduce active ingredients to the skin, the skin tends to, it needs to go through its own process of healing. So it tends to get a little bit worse before it gets better. And we call it the adjustment phase in my clinic. But probably some of you are thinking, oh, this is probably the adjustment phase and this is all really normal. But the client doesn't know this. And this is what I really wanted to hone in on. So you can actually, as the beauty business owner, prevent these client refunds in the first place. So I I truly believe everything can be solved with education. (laughs) Okay, maybe not everything, but knowledge is power. And you can prevent things like this from happening Um, just by simply really talking to the client about what they may or may not expect. You know what, if I never warned my clients about the fact that their skin might get better before it gets worse, I'd probably have a lot of refunds coming my way (laughs) and it would be really difficult to deal with. But every single time I have an acne client come into my clinic who's wanting to start to treat their breakouts I I really do I sit down with them I say look there's this thing called the adjustment phase and your skin will more than likely get worse before it gets better and I take them through and I really I really prep them and I make sure that they're aware you know if you're going to start an active skincare range you have to expect your skin to change and it's not always just a, a nice steady incline like oh now it's perfect and it takes time and you know, a week is unrealistic to see changes. You know, some of my acne clients are taking up to nine months to a year to really resolve their issues. I've had clients in the adjustment phase for up to three months. And this is because the skin is its own organ and it's trying to bring back the balance and come back to homeostasis and it wants to regenerate it really really does but we need to be aware of the cosmetic ingredients we're forcing at it and 
how that affects the skin in terms of skin physiology and the functions of the skin. So I diverge a little bit here, but the main thing here is that you really need to, as the therapist, warn your clients about the potential things that could happen, you know, and you definitely want to make sure, like I said, that they're aware And maybe this could have been prevented if um, Newett said to the client, look, your skin might get worse before it gets better. But we we just don't know here. So what do you do? What do you do in this situation? Do you just give the client back their money and just be done with it? I think what I would do in this situation, if for some reason I didn't educate my client about this, and you know what? I think this definitely differs for every single skincare brand out there. So you really, you know what? This question is probably best for the skincare company because only they can truly know the cosmetic ingredients and how they interact with the skin. I don't really know and I don't know that client's skin, but I would absolutely consider in this circumstance, I would consider, definitely consider a refund, but I would be talking to my client prior to doing this I would be bringing them in really establishing their thoughts and feelings and what they truly wanted to get out of it and I would say I would educate them about the skin condition in the first place and talk about perhaps limiting you know that amount of products at the same time you know when I introduce a new skincare line to someone I don't just go give them four products and they'd be done with it you know I introduce a cleanser and maybe just a very basic moisturizer or something along those lines so perhaps this is all too much all all too much all at once and the client is freaking out a little so it might just take sitting down with her and going through her skincare routine and really talking to her about what could happen and what we we have an obligation as business owners and therapists to inform the client and really do what's best for them and look if they're demanding a refund and they're threatening you know reviews bad reviews all these kinds of things you might want to give a refund but you want to do everything in your power to prevent this from happening in the first place because as soon as you give that client a refund you can pretty much guarantee that they won't be back they they don't they don't want to give it a try. They're not open to it. So you want to prevent that. You want to keep them on the path that you've got them on and educate them. So that really is my answer to your cue, Nuet. And it all comes down to that education and knowing what you're looking at on the skin, knowing what the client, what the client, knowing what to expect and really just understanding the cosmetic ingredients that you're applying to the skin. I hope this has been helpful. Okay, so on to topic number three, we have Kara and she submitted her question and it's on the topic of client no-shows. So Kara said, hi all, I have a client who has been a no-show in the past twice, but I have let it slide before I enforced a cancellation policy. Now, two days before her appointment, she has notified me she has to cancel. How would you all handle this? It's not a client I want to be having, saving an appointment for that. She will just cancel and hasn't even given me fair notice. What should I do? Okay, so I'm sure we can all agree that nobody or no business really wants a client like this who is flaking on us and not rocking up to her committed appointment time. When we look at it from a financial perspective, 
it's not helping and it's just not the kind of behavior you really want to condone in the business. So first of all, I'd like to say congratulations to Kara who saw this pattern happening and then she implemented and enforced a cancellation policy. I want to say that's amazing and you should be really proud of yourself for doing that. And if I can give you any advice on this topic is to just stick to your guns around this and you can be lenient when it comes to these things, but as long as you have a set out cancellation policy where it's available on your website or at least it's available, like you verbally tell them what the um, cancellation policy is every time they come in or book an appointment, you know, you're really you're doing yourself a good service because it means that they're informed, they know the rules, you've told them in advance, and if they decide to break them, the onus is on them. So that is my piece of advice is to really be very stern on your cancellation policy. And then if you decide because perhaps you like that client, you want to give them a second chance, you know, it was an extenuating circumstances, like someone's been injured and, you know, you believe their story essentially that's when you get to get to decide I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and give them that leeway this time but you can't you don't really have that power unless you've got that cancellation policy enforced in the first place so it's it's such a responsible thing to do and at the end of the day the way I would handle your clients your client in this example you know you don't it is good to tell them what has happened. You know, do say to her, look, since um, since this date, we enforced a cancellation policy and this is what it is. So outline it for her and then just say, this is something that we are now enforcing. I'm really sorry that perhaps you didn't read it prior, but this is the cancellation policy and this is why so you can tell them why and you want to be really nice about it you know you don't want to make them sound like they're stupid or ignorant or whatnot you want to give them the benefit of the doubt but do be firm and do tell them what you're wanting and it gives them again the onus to make their decision and look if you don't need to request for them to pay a fee Um, that's what I do and I'll tell you a little bit about that in a moment but for this client, I wouldn't charge them. I'd just, just let them know. And look, if they do it again and you, you just have to enforce whatever rules that you've put in place. So to give you a recap of what I do in my clinic, and I've tried a few different options and I find that this has been the best one so far, is that I do a blanket $50 booking part payment. So essentially at the time of booking, Every single client knows and understands that a booking part payment must be made. So I call it a part payment because I read somewhere that you can't call it a deposit because a deposit can be then, you know, taken back. So it's not a deposit, it's a part payment for their treatment. So I request that with every single treatment. So I've got it set up all on PayPal and my admin staff do this for me, Um, but it's also automatic on my booking software. So whenever someone goes online, it takes $50 automatically. And then that $50 is then used uh, if they cancel essentially. So it'll cover, it'll cover a portion of the treatment and it covers my end. So I'm not out um, financially for their decision to not 
rock up. And look, I have a 24 hour cancellation period and I've got a whole heap of different clauses involved in this. And I have it displayed on my website and I have a link to it on my Instagram page. So people are well aware (laughs) of what my rules are for my clinic. So if you do want to just take a look and see what I do. My business name is Soul Awaken Skin Therapies and you can just have a little look and see what I do and maybe draw inspiration from it. I have done 50% uh, booking part payments as well uh, but I found that was quite a large sum and you you know it'd be a different amount per different treatment so we just do $50 now. It's a blanket. $50 is a pretty acceptable excuse me, acceptable amount to be paying and most people understand and I've not had any problems with it. And it's all about creating a professional workplace at the end of the day. So that is how I would answer that for you, Cara. If anybody's listening to this podcast today and you want to weigh in on the topics, you actually can do this. So you just want to jump on over to the Facebook group and comment below. And if you have something useful to say, then don't hesitate because we're all here to learn. And that's why you've jumped into the group and you've asked the questions. So I really, really appreciate that you do this and that you're willing to work on yourself. All right, beauty therapist. So that is it for our first episode of 2020 of the Beauty Therapists of Australia podcast. Before you go, I'd like to say thank you for being here with me. By listening to this podcast, it shows that you are dedicated to your education as a beauty therapist and it proves that you do have what it takes to be an industry leader. Stay on top of your game, beauty therapist. Keep educating yourself, networking amongst your peers, and don't forget the reasons why you chose the industry in the first place if you would like to connect with other australian beauty therapists make sure to join the facebook group by searching beauty therapists of australia dash for industry leaders and if you would like to follow me personally just search my full name kathleen classman on facebook instagram and youtube stay well beauty therapists and i'll see you here next time